Koppel, host of the Time for Coffee podcast, where you get firsthand career advice into the jobs and industries that interest you the most. And before we start today's show, I have a quick favor to ask you. If you haven't already, I'd be incredibly grateful if you give us a rating and a review on iTunes. And if you're like me, you need to do it now because you'll forget later and because it's the best way to help others who may be in search of career advice to find this free resource. So press pause if you haven't done it and do it right now. I'll wait. Thanks so much and enjoy today's show. Hey there, Java junkies. Welcome back to another episode of T4C. If you're interested in breaking into the immersive entertainment space, creating large-scale installations and innovative media and entertainment experiences, then this is the episode for you. Because my next guest is among the best in the world. But before I introduce you to Michael Counts, I want to make sure you've signed up for the Java Junkies Journal. That's T4C's weekly newsletter, and it comes out bright and early on Mondays with unique insights into dozens of different industries from the professionals who are actually working in them. Just head over to the Time for Coffee website at time, the number four, coffee.org, and the sign-up box is right there. Now, my Java lovers, please grab your mug and take a chug of your favorite caffeinated brew, because it's time for another caffeinated career conversation. And my guest is Michael Counts, a 25-plus year pioneer of immersive entertainment, creating large-scale installations, theatrical productions, and innovative media and entertainment experiences, often in unconventional spaces throughout the world. He was hailed as a mad genius by the New York Times and one of the most fertile imaginations working in New York theater today by Time Out New York. His clients have included Michael Coors, MetLife, Amgen, The Walking Dead, and the Baltimore Orioles, to name just a handful. And Michael has worked in a wide range of contexts and locations, including a performance on the side of a mountain in Japan, a custom-designed bus that made Times Square and the surrounding streets its stage. He's also directed and designed opera productions at Lincoln Theater for the Performing Arts, New York City Center, the Cutler Majestic Theater at Emerson College, and he's been on tour at the Hong Kong Arts Festival. Many of his innovations anticipated new developments in the worlds of live performance design and the digital realm. He is the founding director of Counts Projects, and he produces his work in New York City. And if you want to learn more about Michael and how he built his amazing career, please check out show notes to see if Michael's main Time for Coffee interview has already dropped. Michael, welcome to Time for Coffee. Are you caffeinated and ready to go? I am fully caffeinated, Andrea. It's so great to be with you. Well, likewise, and I don't mean to put you on the spot, but I thought I heard in another interview or maybe one of your own podcasts that you don't drink coffee. Is that true? Not true at all. It's one of my main, my main, my staple of my diet. Oh, Thank God, because if it hadn't been the case, Michael, it would have been a really short conversation. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But it's so great that you love coffee. What is your brew of choice? 
Well, I live in Brooklyn Heights and there's this great little place uh, called Lassen and Hennig's. It's been around since the 60s and they have just fantastic coffee. So we brew it at home and it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's quite special. I br- we bring it with us. Literally, if we leave town, we bring up a pound of ground Lassen and Hennig's coffee with us. Oh my God. Like that so touched my caffeinated heart. I can't even tell you the <laughs> idea that you travel with your own coffee. That's beautiful. Okay, Michael. Let us dive into the 10 espresso shots to help our young listeners who are passionate about the arts, in particular, immersive theater, to break into this industry. So what entry-level jobs are available to young people who want to get into this field? Well, I think there are, there are entry-level jobs from being a production assistant or a stagehand or an assistant director. But one of the greatest things about immersive theater and outdoor site-specific theater, which is sort of a, a specific subset of immersive theater, is that anybody can do it. And and there are many brilliant and visionary productions that have happened with minimal budgets and just people coming together to make something cool happen. So I think that it's one field in which it's not just, Hey, how do I enter the big system? You can create your own system. And that's one of them. That's how really how I got into it originally as a college student. I love that. So what you're saying is immersive theater is kind of like the iPhone is to filmmaking. Yeah, that's right. No one was offering me big theaters when I was 21 years old. And therefore I started doing productions out on the streets of my college campus and then in New York City where I grew up. And that was the start of it all. Oh my God. I love it. And again, check out show notes to see if Michael's main time for coffee interview is dropped where we are going to get into all of that. So Michael, what is a useful hard and soft skill or skills that you look for in the young people that you hire? Creative problem solving. Just thinking out of the box. You know, I, I often like in doing a production to to solving a Rubik's cube. You know, you have to really just be responsive to what's happening in the moment because really great creative people in my experience take the unexpected and and take what would someone else might view as a as a setback and turn it into a, a an opportunity. And so creative problem solving to me is like by by far the most important skill for people to have. So have you actually solved a Rubik's cube? You know what? I actually never have. I've never <laughs> solved a Rubik's Cube, but it's like my favorite metaphor for, for a, a multi-sided puzzle. Yeah. Well, me neither. So I'm just glad and relieved to hear that you haven't because I was thinking, damn, I guess I'm not really a creative problem solver. All right. What about someone's major, Michael? Is it a deciding factor to get into immersive theater? In other words, if they haven't studied theater as you did, or if they haven't studied the arts, writ large music, whatever the case may be, is it a deal breaker? Not in the least. In fact, technically, I have a major in theater, but really my focus was on on many things beyond theater. I studied film, I studied art, I studied performance art, I studied poetry, I studied dance, and 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 a lot, really a lot of visual art, and um, and and specifically the 20th century sort of avant garde, and. To me, like that's where, you know, one of the things about immersive, immersive theater and immersive entertainment is that it's really trying to reinvent the form. And, and I think in, in that respect, it's often beneficial to come at it from an unlikely angle, which I did. And, and so I was, I came up with 
non-traditional solutions because I was coming in it from a non-traditional background. And I should add that you also studied economics. I did. I did. Was that a double major or was one of them a concentration? It was a concentration. I, I, uh, I, I was, I loved, and it wasn't, um, for me, it was the economics was more in kind of a behavioral economics than a traditional financial economics. And that was, uh, you know, understanding how and why we do the things we do. I loved studying the, uh, the economics of art, you know, what makes something a, a unique resource, especially valuable. And, you know, uh, especially, I and mean, obviously that applies especially to, to art and things where it's a completely unique product. Absolutely. Yeah. So what about a grad school degree? And this is less so for our listeners who are looking for entry-level positions, maybe more so for those who are just trying to maybe hedge their bets or get a jump on the competition. Is there a grad school degree that you think is useful to get? And if not, why not? I think it can, I think it goes both ways, and I think it really depends on the person. There are plenty of really great art and theater programs and experimental theater programs, like at Columbia and NYU and elsewhere. Um, you know, my approach was that I just wanted to go make my own work, and I think that you know there's there's an argument to be that, that the guy who was kind of my mentor in college suggested, even if you're going to go to graduate school, like go make some work, go find, go find your own path, go make your own mistakes. And then if you, if you want or need to, then go to graduate school, but start out trying to forge your own path. Don't learn how other people would make theater, figure out how you would make theater, find your own voice. And and in that respect, I think that that was advice I took and I'm very grateful I did. Yeah. So real world experience before considering grad school, if at all. But if they do decide, maybe after they've been out in the working world for a handful of years, that they might want to pursue a grad school degree, is there one that you think would be more practical, more useful for them to consider? I think, you know, I I think that uh, degrees in directing, I've always thought of directing, you know, I once described directing to someone as like, you're the resident decision maker. Like you have to decide on, on, you have to really know all aspects of a production to direct. You have to understand the lighting and the sound and all the technical aspects and the production aspects and immersive theater, the logistics. And so I always think that a degree in directing is a very broad way in as opposed to like studying scenic design or lighting design or dramaturgy. So that, that, that would be my recommendation. Cool. What about life experiences, Michael? What in your experience do you think are the most useful ones for someone who may still be in college right now or may have just graduated for them to try to cultivate to help them once they enter this industry? You know, the, the, my answer to that is, is one that applies beyond the industry. I think it just applies to, to living one's life. And that is to be curious, to, to, to not rule out. I mean, I, I once said, you know, great advice that I heard was early on was just say yes to everything. Try it and, and experience it and understand it before you rule it out or discount it. And so I think being curious, being open and willing to explore. I think that that, that for me has been the most, and, and cause you can explore in a museum, you can explore walking down the street, you can explore in international travel, all of which are things that opened me up, but you can also do all of those things in a way that's kind of closed and, 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 and restricted in your view and perspective. And I think that that's, that to me is the biggest thing that either can propel you forward or hold you back. 
And I know that you have talked about how formative an experience it was for you when you were in, I think it was elementary school, was it, at PS6, when you would Mm -hmm. go down the street, because you PS6, for those of you not in New York City, is a public school in New York City, and you would go to the museum. Is the Metropolitan Museum. Metropolitan. And you would just like toss a dime in there and just go wander around with your buddies at lunch. Yep. That was it. That I, I, I credit so much of, of who I've become in my life to those experiences as a fifth and sixth grader in the 80s in New York. PSX is a block from the Met. And I would go sometimes with a friend, sometimes by myself and pay a dime because it was, you know, pay what you want. And, and I would just explore. And I think that having the experience of, of really finding my own way and, and not doing it in a very you know, kind of academic study of the Met, but just a, a kid's experience where I would be walking past and through some of the greatest artworks of, of, of human history and going from era to era, to style, to style, to culture, to culture, all in a single stroll. And I think that that really shaped a lot of my perspective, gave me, a, I think, a breadth of, of, of interests in art in all forms that really uh, served me very well and helped me be the creative person I am today. Fantastic. So speaking of being a creative person, what is the best part for you, Michael, of being in the immersive entertainment space? Well, you know, the, the best thing, it's, it's the double-edged sword. It's the best thing and the hardest thing, honestly. It was, it was being a pioneer, being on the frontier is thrilling and terrifying. There were, there were times when I thought, man, like we are so outside of the norms here. No one's ever going to know or care what we're doing until that fringe became the center, you know, years later. And, and I, I just think that that, that felt like I said, thrilling and terrifying. And, and that's my favorite part is, is being, I, I think the, the joy and the adrenaline and the, the, the wonder and the, the, the feeling like it's a great adventure. Someone once said to me, a, a, another mentor of mine in my professional life once said, Michael, life is a great adventure or it's nothing at all. And I, I really, I really followed that, you know, and, and being, having my career be an adventure where the stakes felt high and it felt like we were out exploring in uncharted territories was was um, something I'll be forever grateful for. Well, we are certainly in uncharted territories now with the coronavirus. Mm-hmm. We're doing this interview at the end of October 2020. And I'd have to imagine that the immersive theater, the immersive entertainment industry has been hit particularly hard by this. And this ties into the next boilerplate question that I ask all my guests, which is, what is the part of your current job that sucks the most? And let me just say, in light of the coronavirus. Mm -hmm. That's a great question. It's a big question. You know, I think that people can't really convene now. And, uh, and this is, this is to watch the industry, not just of immersive theater and immersive entertainment, but the entertainment field generally has just been really knocked on its ass, you know, in this time. And I know a lot of really talented people like Tony nominated choreographers and, you know, Broadway dancers and singers and actors who have just left New York for good, presumably. Um, And it's, and it's really, uh, it's, it's, it's tragic. A lot of people in entertainment are really struggling. Some of the great long running shows in New York that are, you know, were immersive in nature closed and, and many of them may not reopen. And, um, 
And that's, 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 that's hard. It's, it also, as with any crisis, there's a lot of opportunity that emerges and there are new forms that are, are, are emerging in, in immersive or non-traditional theater and entertainment that I think offers, uh, some light ahead and some, some gives me some optimism about where we're headed. Uh, I mean, I think points like this are points of inflection, points of major cultural societal change. If you look historically, that's where a lot of the greatest innovations and in art and technology and and theater and and culture in general have all emerged from times of disruption, just like this. A hundred percent. So to share some of that light with our listeners who may be frightened and frustrated and experiencing a whole range of very strong emotions, thinking that maybe there isn't that opportunity that, that they had thought and hoped there would be, where do you see the new forms emerging? You know, I saw, I saw a show on Zoom recently that, that I thought was, was brilliant and, and it used new tools that had never been used before in the theatrical context. And it used them in a way that was really compelling and, and clever. And I think, you know, for, I, I, as COVID started, I was advising on a production that was originally going to happen in Las Vegas and now may happen elsewhere which is, um, this is going to be a throwback to maybe our, our youth, but there was a movie in the 90s um, called The Game. Uh, as David Fincher starred Michael Douglas and Sean Penn, and it was, it sort of proposes that there's this, there's this game that's being played and people can sort of this, it, it's, a, it's its own form of kind of immersive entertainment, if you will. And, and, and I think a lot of people really thought it was just this wild concept that maybe someday something like that could happen. And over the last several years, I've been working on developing something like that. And, and I think that that kind of experience where it's the show is around you and out in the world and you experience it and bits and pieces and it's more like a theatrical narrative has been laid over reality is uh, I think that that will emerge in a really robust way now, now that people are less interested or open to being, you know, sitting side by side in a traditional theater or walking inside of an enclosed space, even if they're milling around in an immersive context, I think immersive is going to go way beyond the bounds of buildings and, and, and interior spaces. And that's exciting to me. Love it. So three final espresso shots. Okay. Already given us some real gems here in terms of advice but what would you say the best career advice you've ever gotten was? I mean, I, I alluded to it earlier. I think it was it was go find your voice, Michael. Go make your mistakes. Go 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 chart your own path. And and I think that you know when I was getting out of college, I had the opportunity to go and study. I could have been an assistant to some of the directors and theater artists that I was studying in school. People I revered. And, and my mentor really encouraged me. He said, look, you could go do that. You go be an assistant for, you know, Robert Wilson or Richard Foreman or one of the, one of the greats, or, or you could just go make your own art, you know, make your own theater. And, and I, and I followed that. And I'm, again, I said it earlier, I'm really grateful that I did that. I mean, it was harder in some respects, but I feel like I found out the kind of theater that I wanted to make, that I needed to make, that was, you know, trapped within me looking to get out as opposed to learning how to make work that mimicked what someone else had had done in their own innovation. Well, speaking of work you've done or work that 
other artists have done, Michael. Are there any movies or Netflix, Amazon, Hulu shows? I should probably also put in there just like immersive entertainment or books that you think accurately depict this profession. Well, I, I mentioned it already, but where I think entertainment is going, immersive entertainment is something akin to the game. So if you haven't seen David Fincher's The Game, check that out. Excellent. Yeah, that's, the, I think, the biggest one because it, it inverts reality and fiction in a way that, that is really beautiful. I'm sure there are others, but that's the one that leaps to mind. I was just thinking of that movie. Oh, gosh. The one where they're dreaming. Inception. Oh yeah, it? yeah, yeah. Uh, no, that was. In the, I know the one you're thinking of. That was Inception, but it was it was another Fincher. It was um, where there are layers of dreams, and you don't know which layer they're in, and they wake up, and then they have to sometimes get to the next level out of the dream. It's yeah. very interesting. It reminds me a little bit. I I haven't seen the game, but mm-hmm. I wonder if that is something that would resonate with you as being akin to. Yeah, for sure. Immersive I mean, it, it's theater. one of my favorite things about this form is the the merging of reality and fiction. And, and you know, because quote unquote reality is, you know, it's sort of elastic in its own way. I think that that all that the kind of theater, much of it that I've done is really is about, you know, transporting people into another version of reality. And, and oftentimes, by the way, I, I, I really refer to what I do now as transportive entertainment. Um, and by that, I mean, you know, there are great examples of Disney, uh, the Venetian Hotel, you know, um, indoor water parks, indoor skiing facilities. Those are transportive entertainment experiences that take you somewhere that's a, a form of virtual reality, in effect. Yeah, I love that. And I love the word elastic. That's so evocative. It really is. Final espresso shot. What would Java junkies be surprised to learn about your profession? Surprised to learn. Oh, here's one. I mean, that there, there were a few productions that emerged in, in recent years in New York. There was a show called Sleep No More. And I think a lot of people viewed that as like, oh my God, like there's, a, there's now a thing called immersive theater and, and that that was the, the sort of first example of it. And I think a lot of people who came to the party late saw that and thought that was the beginning when in fact that was a chapter midway through the book. There, there's been a lot of work going on for decades, even that predates me by, by a long time. That was the art happenings of the Fluxus movement in New York and the avant-garde and all kinds of very strange theatrical productions that were happening in the 60s and 70s. And so I would say that the thing that I think people would be surprised to know is that there's a, that there's a long history even though in many respects it feels like a very emergent form of art and theater and entertainment, it, it, has, it goes way back. Cool. Michael, I want to thank you so much for making Time for Coffee today with me and the T4C community. Michael's podcast is called, no surprise, Producing Innovation. You should check it out. He's got interviews with all kinds of super interesting artists. And he starts off by telling his own stories. So, Michael, this was such a treat. Thank you. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for listening to this latest episode of T4C. 
And if you're interested in learning more about my coaching services for confused college students and recent grads, feel free to check out the Time for Coffee website under the Coaching tab at time, the number four, coffee.org, or text me at 202-236-5712. That's 202-236-5712. Thank you.